Bounces away from McCulloch. Thurston gets the ball to Morgan. Morgan crosses the 20. Comes away to O'Neill. Welcome to Above the Horizontal, a podcast about rugby league. I'm your host, Bo Nicholson. This is the podcast by the fans, for the fans, where we will be discussing the Wildcard Awards, which is a fun little thing we like to do, where we discuss some news from the rugby league world. We, of course, will be talking about the semi-finals of the Men's World Cup, where Samoa particularly surprised England. And we will be assessing their chances against Australia in the final coming up this weekend. To help me do that, I'm joined by Kieran Gibson. Gibbo, how you been? Yeah, pretty good, mate. As you would know, uh, I just got myself a, a one-bedroom apartment closer to the city. Well, actually, it's probably just as close as I am now, but um, I'll have my own space, so pretty happy about that. And yeah, things are going well. Keen for this final on Sunday morning. Yeah, Sunday morning our time, I believe. Uh, we're still waiting on some... It's Thursday evening here at the moment, and we're still waiting on official team list to come through from Australia and Samoa but it's probably pretty predictable how they'll go obviously they'll choose Daly Cherry Evans to be the halfback instead of Nathan Cleary uh kidding uh, <laughs> for a second there you thought I was being serious didn't you <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, uh, but I will say that you're not the only one that's excited about uh you moving because that means you're closer to me which is fun we can get some burgers more often and Owen even uh I talked to him yesterday and the big E will be giving his phenomenal tip for the World Cup final, by the way. He was also excited about it because it gives him another place to learn how to get to on public transport. So good news all round. Congratulations on your new apartment. My day has been a bit, probably, probably a bit worse than that. Like I, my job today was going to the movies. So that's probably a pretty good day. But uh, my client is really into... Uh, so for, for those that aren't aware, I'm a disability support worker and my client is really into Christmas, like super into Christmas. So uh, there's this new movie called Mistletoe Ranch and it is as corny and shit as you could possibly, <laughs> possibly, like, you know, we, we gave Matt Nabel a hard time last week. I'm not going to dive into a film review this time around, but it was, it was just Christmas is great propaganda mixed in with a healthy dose of hell hey christianity is great plus just a cavalcade of cliches so it was it was a shit time at the movies for me today but um you know i got paid to watch it so you know i can't complain too much i suppose um but i do wish that owen and i worked together at a time more conducive for movies because he has better taste than my other client uh just generally speaking um but let's get into it we like to start with our wildcard awards for those that, that might be new to the show and if you are please subscribe because we'd love to keep you around uh the wildcard award is a chance for us to give an award of our choosing to just something that we noticed in the rugby league world this week it could be off field on field whatever kieran gibson what is your wildcard award this week um, I've got the the Money Doesn't Always Buy Happiness Award, which goes to the English-hosted Rugby League World Cup. Whilst Rugby League and England, to a lesser extent, may not enjoy the lavishes and riches that soccer and guitar do, it has created a, a brilliant tournament, which has seen multiple cities play host to emerging nations and powerhouses alike, rather than the bought and stained upcoming Soccer World Cup. Yes, well, you're, you're much more of a... Um... 
a football fan than I am, uh, to use the correct term for that World Cup coming up. How, how do you, obviously, uh, Qatar, very, very controversial with a lot of their human rights uh, <laughs> violations, let's call it, that are, that are yeah. written into law over there. But speaking of the on-field stuff, uh, on a scale of, I don't know, Panthers to West Tigers, <laughs> how likely are Australia to win the World Cup? Uh, in the football, that is. Oh, in the football, West Tigers. Yeah, it, it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah we'll, we'll get into the rugby league a bit later on, but uh, I I have a little bit of a, a soft spot for uh, Poland, of course. So I'll be I'll be hoping that Poland do maybe a little bit better than Australia, and I think they I think they have a decent chance of making it into the next round, don't they? Um, Poland, yeah, I can't quite. Uh, from memory, their group is fairly strong. I think they have Switzerland and then someone who's even better than Switzerland and Poland. So they'll be uh, vying it out with Switzerland if, if that's who's in their group. Um, but yeah, they have a good chance. I, I think Switzerland will nip in front of them personally, but they have Lewandowski. And when you have his arguably, well, he's definitely in the top three strikers in the world still. So Well, I'll... Uh... I'll just end the call right now, I think. Um, <laughs> I'm not interested in hearing any slights against Poland, especially not calling us worse than Switzerland. My goodness. Um, I don't know anything about football. My humble... Uh, sorry, my humble. My wildcard award is a little preview for you. My wildcard award is based on the rugby league. It is the give me a slice of that humble pie award. And it goes to me uh, about... A lot of things that I've said uh, privately or on this podcast about Jerome Luai. Now, don't get me wrong. I still think the guy's a flog, <laughs> particularly particularly for his on-field brand that he delivers. I think there's a way to be ultra-competitive and not be a complete flog. And the, 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 the big thing for me, and it happened during 2022, the big thing that lost me, the biggest thing that lost me for sure is when he had nothing to do with Selwyn Cobo getting accidentally knocked out in Origin 3 and he stood over his body and like yelled and laughed in his face. That to me is just like inexcusable behavior. I can't, I can't get around it and I'm, I'm willing to hold a grudge for quite a long time. So I, I did pick him initially in my, in my auction at the start of the year and I did have a no flog in my team you know, policy and he ruined that with his flog behavior throughout the year. But I have also spoken previously about the fact that I don't think he's quite in the top echelon of five eights, and I, I don't, I still don't think he is. Uh, not quite, right? Not quite. Obviously, Munster is probably like the the epitome of a top flight five eight. I think Burton's got more ability in that realm. I think Jack Whiten's got more runs on the board. I think you know even Cody Walker on his day, you know, just so lethal. But you, humble pie, you got to eat it when it's when it's available. And he was really great against England. Um, that footwork that he has coming off his left foot. Mm. There aren't many players in world football at the moment that you need to hustle more on the inside shoulder than Jerome Luai. Like if 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 anyone is taking even a half like a half break on the inside, like once the ball has gone past them. He will exploit that. His left foot is lethal. And, you know, his kicking game's been pretty good, especially his short kicking game. His passing game's been great. He's got good combinations with a, a bunch of those Samoan boys. And, you know, uh, you mentioned it last week, how good Tim Lafay has been. He's just fitted in at left center beautifully because he's getting really good service from a guy like, like Jerome Luai. He's played 
five games in, in this World Cup. In the last four, he's had three Man of the Match awards. And I think that says a lot about his mental character and obviously his ability. So I have to eat some humble pie about Jerome Luai. Would you like a slice? Yes, yeah, I would. Uh, I'd like another slice of that um, Oreo cheesecake from the weekend as well. But Ooh, um, yes. <laughs> I'll have some humble humble pie as well. Um, that pass that you were talking about, that combination that he had with Lafay, that pass he gave for Lafay's second try, mm. that was absolutely brilliant, the timing of it. He gave him early ball, but not just early ball. It was executed exactly at the time that it needed to be because it made Lafay making the break to score the try so much um, easier. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think he's he's definitely surprised me this season with um, some of the... I, I didn't think he had enough in his arsenal as a 5-8. I thought he was just a bit of a runner of the ball and that was pretty much all he had, but he's, he showed me he's got more to him. Yeah. I hate to, I hate to admit it because, you know, one of the, one of the fans of the show, uh, Daniel Lang, shout out to you, mate. He's an old editor of ours, Kieran, you know him well. And uh, he is absolutely insufferable <laughs> when it comes to the Panthers. He is absolutely insufferable because, you know, he's had a lot of lean years as a Panthers fan uh, through a lot of formative years and uh, now that they've had, you know, obviously outrageous and well-earned success, he is just insufferable. And he's a big Jerome Luai fan. Uh, he goes in the bat for him a lot. So he's like the perfect gentleman off the field, which, you know, I'll, I'll take his word for. But there are some things that he certainly can do. And playing football is one of them very well. One thing that I was listening to Dan and Kemp's podcast, and I'll give credit to, I think it was uh, Guru, the rugby league guru, that, that said... It's no coincidence that, you know, in 2020, the Dallium Centre of the Year was the left centre, Stephen Crichton. And then the following year, the Dallium Centre of the Year was a 5'8 playing left centre named Matt Burton. And anyone that has gone and played left back row has just been, it has mostly been Viliami Kikau, but also when Liam Martin was playing there as well. They just, they just like, they just grow and grow and grow. And he helps them become better players. So credit has to go to the guy giving them great service. So humble pie for me, humble pie for you. Kieran, let's get into the semifinals that just went past in the men's. Now, obviously, the women have also, the Australian women have also made the final in the World Cup. They're going to be playing against the Kiwi Ferns and they are hot favourites to win that one, the Jillaroos, uh, even though they only won the previous game against the Kiwi Ferns 10-8. So... Uh, you know, it should be a good game. I'm hoping that'll be a great one. But let's talk about the Men's World Cup because that's where most of our focus has been, uh, I'm afraid. The first game was Australia versus New Zealand. And Kieran, we both predicted that Australia would put it through New Zealand a bit. And while I think your prediction about Australia's defense being really, really good, I think that came true. But I think we expected them to be a bit more fluent than they were. Yeah, definitely. I I honestly thought of the 17 players that took the field at, at various stages, um, those players off the bench, um, I thought Latrell Mitchell was the only player that really looked fluid in attack, um, pretty much. He looked like the most dangerous for us, I thought. Um, otherwise, uh, maybe Adokar um, included, but otherwise, yeah, I thought our speed would really... I thought we would really exploit New Zealand with the speed that we had on our outside backs, and we never really saw open space. It was actually Ronaldo Mulatalo from New Zealand who saw open space more often, um, which is not something I really expected to see. I, I heard that the Kiwis were a bit fired up after apparently organizers um, booked flights home for them uh, early before the game had even started. Baffling. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, it's uh, not not a uh, a good thing to have happen. But it nearly provided fruits for, for New Zealand. They nearly got the win, and uh, I would have been fairly happy for them to do so because it. I thought New Zealand had the the, the fair share of possession, and they earned that possession and field position. They were dominating field position as well. Um, Australia were going nowhere. Uh, ben Hunt kicked out on the fall at one stage because of that. Um, he felt uh, that he needed to relieve a bit of pressure for the side. And yeah, there were just moments like that, at like small moments like that. I thought, geez, New Zealand are really winning the small battles. Um, I thought that they would go on and win the game. Well, New Zealand, one advantage they certainly had was their forward pack compared to Australia's, I think. And if you look at Australia's forward pack, it's not bad by any stretch. You look at a guy like, I mean, Isaiah Year was right there. He's possibly the best lock in the world by most people's imagination, especially our Panthers fans that, that I mentioned earlier. Uh, if he if he's not though, Cameron Murray is probably in that conversation. He's on the bench and he's playing a middle role, which he wasn't playing at Origin, um, which I think has been a, a plus for his game, as we saw how fresh he was to score that try in the second half against a tiring New Zealand forward pack. But the New Zealand forward pack, I think pound for pound, was stronger than Australia's on paper, but also in execution. Like you said, Australia wasn't going anywhere, and it put a lot of pressure on the playmakers uh, to to change the style of the game, the the way that they, I think, intended to, to you know, dominate, like, you know, every game plan basically is dominate the middle and then off the back of that momentum, then you can play shape. But when you're not dominating the middle and you're going nowhere, what can you do to get the ascendancy? And I think Australia sort of realized that, okay, we need to get the ball to the edges and run a lot more. And what that meant was someone like a Liam Martin had maybe a career best game in representative colors. I thought he was. I thought he was really outstanding and, and you know, tireless, and really helped to shift that momentum. Because I, I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but if you look at the numbers of, say, Rigging Campbell Gillard, Jake Trevojevic, the starting front rowers, they they aren't making any meters. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering whether that's something that Mal Meninga persists with, as we don't have the team list yet. Or whether he decides to make a change, you know, does does he go back to Tino Fasua Maliawi starting? Does he go with Paddy Carrigan starting, or does he even does he find, you know, a Ruben Cotter and bring them into the seventeen to drop, you know, Jake Trevojevic, or do we drop Regan Campbell Gillard? Um, what, what would your thoughts be like, given given that we did get away with it, but it was clunky and very unconvincing? Do you think that Mal might look at some changes? I I would. I, I would bring in that. And I, I'm admitting my Cowboys bias, but I would bring in Ruben Cotter. I think he's pretty well like for like for Jake Chaboyevich, except that he's younger and I think hungrier. Maybe not hungrier, but I think he's uh, more consistent rather is the better word. His work rate is always ridiculously high and that's both in yardage and tackles made. Um, and then he has that leg speed that we so often talk about. Um, he has that ability to offload as well. I think he's got so much to his arsenal. Uh, I, I think he would have... A, a, he pretty much always has at least a 7.5 out of 10 game. Yeah, like he really does. Well, I guess one thing that I'd be worried about if I was Australia is... Um, and Cotter's not a bad defender, as he spoke about. And one thing he does do well, he hits and sticks, but he also leads the line speed a lot. So he's basically like another hooker. Um, where he can get up and 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 chop into those big blokes before they really get their momentum, uh, before the big fellas can come in and help wrestle them down uh, on their backs. So he's really really good at that sort of thing. But what I'm worried about is the size of Australia's 
forward pack uh, in the sense that it's a little bit small. You know, like look at a guy like Cameron Murray, who's basically playing like a prop off the bench. Now he'd be about the same size as Ruben Cotter. So uh, does taking out a Travojevic or even a, a Campbell Gillard, because you're not touching Carrigan and you're not touching Murray or Tino. Like I think those three pick themselves. So it's either RCG or Jake Travojevic that could be under threat. Taking them out, you take out, in Jake's point, a lot of experience and also defensive reliability. Because one thing they did really well, Australia, while they weren't making a lot of meters, they also weren't missing tackles. I think between the two of them, if memory serves, I think they made about 45, 50 tackles and missed one. So there's, you know, pros and cons, obviously, to that style of of front rower. Um, it just depends on what they want to do to combat Samoa, whose starting front row is going to look like, you know, Junior Paolo, Josh Papali'i, and they've got some big fellas off, off the bench as well to help that rotation. So it will be interesting to see how they go. Do you think, speaking about New Zealanders really briefly, we talked about them at the start of the tournament. We all thought Australia were probably the favourites, but the biggest challenge for them was probably going to be New Zealand. And we also knew that they were probably going to play against them in the semi-final. So the way we all thought was whoever wins this semi-final would probably win the World Cup in all likelihood. The two best teams playing against each other. Do you think, therefore, that losing a semi-final by two points to Australia is a good result? For New Zealand, or do you think they're going to? Obviously, they'll be disappointed, but do you think they'll consider it a failed tournament? Uh, uh that's a very hard question. I, I just think the way that they, um, the fact that they were, I, at least in my eyes, they were the better team in the semi final. Um, I, I know that they got away with one against Fiji, but they were definitely better than Australia. I thought on on, uh, on the weekend. I think that they'll see it as at least a, a very big missed opportunity, and they have been quite successful in the international arena. They've punched arguably above their weight. They won in two thousand and eight the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that they'll see it as a disappointment. Really, at least I, I I don't know if I see it as a disappointment. I, I think that they still can hold their heads high, but um, I could I could understand if they saw it as a disappointment. I feel like in, say, the, the, the recent decade, the last decade or so, maybe from about 2014 onwards, it feels like Australia has been quite clearly the best team, maybe on the exception of losing their rankings because of the whole COVID situation. But it just feels like Australia at full strength is always going to be better than New Zealand at full strength. But I, I do feel like that gap is closing. And even when all the momentum had you and I both sitting there being like, look, it's probably going to be a bit of a beat up, like, you know, Australia should win this fairly comfortably uh, with their amazing defense and a little bit of strike power out wide. And they still took them like all the way. And as you said, they probably were the better team. Uh, And it really comes down to a freakish bit of play from Josh Adokar from that really good kick from Ben Hunt. Like, I don't think Manu or Rapana were out of position. I think Adokar's just outrageous pace um, created a try there um, apart from something you couldn't possibly defend and a, a lapse like a, like a half a second lapse from Brandon Smith when Cameron Murray took that hit up off the tap and scored a try apart from those two moments Australia don't score tries and New Zealand are in the World Cup final so I feel like even though they will be obviously disappointed and it is a missed opportunity that's where putting it I feel like they would have gain some confidence that the gap between Australia and New Zealand is is not as big as it used to be. And, Mm. you know, and we're going to speak about England and Samoa in a second. 
England, they looked really good at different points of this tournament. Samoa are on the, on the rise. Tonga probably are still as well. I feel like Fiji and PNG are making some ground. And I think New Zealand's making some ground. I think New Zealand's making ground in Australia. I think we, we saw that on the weekend. So, um, you know, kudos to them. Obviously, they'll be disappointed and all the New Zealand fans will be too. But hold your head up high. I thought they had a pretty good tournament, really. Let's talk about England and Samoa. That, that game was incredible. I thought England absolutely were sure things to win that game, that they should have been probably on paper. When it got to, you know, the last 10 minutes or so and they're in front by a try, I feel like they should have put that game away. And Samoa, they they found a way. And honestly, we, we the, the words phenomenal get thrown around a lot. Uh, the words sensational get thrown around a lot. Even like, oh, scenes, oh, scenes. But honestly, like it was it was something. Yeah, I, I didn't actually catch this game, but I, I saw the 18-minute mini on Kayo, um, and it, it just it, it did look phenomenal. It um, uh, I think Ennis would sum it up brilliantly. Um, <laughs> his, his turn of phrase, or favorite phrase, rather, um, sums it up quite quite adequately. His, uh, phenomenal Von, phenomenal. <laughs> just phenomenal Von. <laughs> yeah I, I didn't see the game so i can't comment too much but uh yeah attacking wise some of the tries were um as i said that that pass from uh luai to, to lafay and then i think it was herbie Farnworth's length of the field yeah that try that um tied it up uh, after the george williams break mm-hmm. um yeah they're just some really good long-range tries well one thing you would have noticed is uh you're a big heavy Farnworth fan i think fans of the podcast would know that by now um, like obviously he scored that try after George Williams uh, created that space for him on the left there. That was pretty amazing from George. But mm. I thought Herbie's first try was incredible. Like the, the agility and the pace in like in traffic and in the space of like 10 meters, it feels like he beat like four or five dudes with, with mm. pace, agility and strength to get that first try. He is really developing into a strike left center. So the Broncos should be very excited about that. Um, I thought Victor had a really, really great tournament, um, and he'll, you know, he will rue the fact that he threw that intercept pass for Stephen Crichton. Um, but you know, obviously, the pass it, it turns out was not on. But with a four on two overlap, you know, people were saying, "Oh, he should have just taken the tackle, should have played it safe, should have, you know, kicked to a corner or something like that on the last play." Yeah, but you got a four or two overlap, and if you score that try with seven minutes left or whatever it was, you win the game. Like, game over. So, and you're in the World Cup final in form against Australia who are clunky. Like, you know, sliding doors moment. Unfortunately for Victor, throws the cut out, snapped up by Stephen Crichton. Good read from him. Uh, we've seen that We've seen that movie before, uh, haven't we, Rabbitohs mm-hmm. fans? And, you know, away he goes. I, I thought there's a lot of positives for England. And like you spoke about before the match, they probably were like the, the form team of the tournament. So, you know, again, it it probably feels like a failed tournament at this stage because they probably should have made the final considering the run they had. Do you see positives in England's future from what you've seen? Yeah, definitely. I I said before the tournament um, started, I, I didn't give England much hope of... I, I honestly wouldn't have been surprised before the tournament I was thinking they might not make the semis because, yeah, I, I looked at their squad and I just didn't think it the talent was there, but um, they've definitely surprised me. It's a small shame we don't get to see how much of a gap they've closed on Australia because I think they have closed the gap. I know that the, the last World Cup final was only decided by four points, but um, mm. I think that there's a bigger gap than what that suggested. 
Uh, and I think that they had closed that uh, going by this tournament. But yeah, I think it's a success. And speaking of success, amazing success for Samoa. Now, we talked about this at length uh, towards the start of the tournament with with Miles and Chris. And Miles particularly was talking about how he doesn't see this as a huge positive for Samoa and Rugby League, mainly because, and the way he sees it, which I understand, it's a small island. There's fuck all infrastructure over there in terms of like anything, let alone Rugby League. And he pointed out that a lot of the people that were representing Samoa obviously had cultural heritage and obviously had family ties, you know, imbued in them from obviously a pretty young age. So culturally, there's a lot of Samoa in them. But in terms of Rugby League, infrastructure-wise, they grew up in New Zealand or Australia and benefited from those systems. So how much does Samoa really benefit from this? To that, I would say... Go for a drive. Seriously, go for a drive around at the moment. Kieran, how many, how many, so, like, have you seen an increase in Samoan flags hanging out of cars recently? I've seen a, an increase from zero to a lot, lot more than zero. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but it's like, it's either that or you're driving in areas that, you know, like if you're driving in the CBD or something, you might not see it as much, but out in the suburbs, everywhere. And for a bit there, they had Tongan flags out as well, but obviously they've been eliminated. So it's, it's just all Samoan flags at the moment. And I'll tell you what, like, yes, Miles's argument holds weight. And we, I think we do need to invest in some infrastructure or, or, you know, get a Samoan team represented in the New South Wales Cup or all those sort of things. And they're very far from a tier one nation. I'm like, you know, because you can't just say, look, they're playing good footy at the top level. They're a tier one nation. It's like, no. Honestly, France and Papua New Guinea are closer to being tier one because at least they have representation in a decent competition. You know, like uh, structurally, they're in a better space. Um, so I understand everything that Miles is saying. He's correct in a lot of ways, but it does mean something to a lot of people that this has happened. And the word phenomenal, as I said, it gets thrown around a lot, but this feels, this feels like a huge moment. So in terms of Samoa, uh, as I said, Jerome Luai has been obviously very, very impressive. You know, from from the matches you've seen and from the highlights you've seen as well. Talk to me about talk to me about some players that that maybe have surpassed your expectations or or have impressed you at least. Like we we, we had some question marks over Joseph Suwali'i slotting into fullback. You know, he seems to have gone okay. <laughs> talk to me. Um, I, I think Taylor May is a, a bit of a, um, a standout for me. Um, we always, uh, obviously, he gets he's had a lot of raps on him in his debut year. Um, he's played really, really well. Um, but Toto is the star winger, really, at the Panthers, um, and deservedly so. But I think Taylor, Taylor May has been arguably just as good this tournament as Toto. Um, mm-hmm. But that I can't remember who he put a hit on, but he put this huge hit on someone in I think it was the quarterfinal. Uh, against Tonga, um, and I didn't. He's like a Taylor May is a fairly, at least on TV, he's a fairly small guy. It's probably that classic thing where you see them in person and they look much bigger. Um, was, it yeah, Kolo- was, was it Koloma Tangi or like Fafita or someone like that? Like it yeah. felt like it was like a bigger dude. I think it was Koloma Tangi or yeah, possibly Fafita. I it was someone big, and I was really shocked um, because yeah, as I say, he he does not look that big, so he's definitely punching in that arena. Uh, but I guess it's the the dog and the the fight. Or the fight in the dog, rather. Um, but yeah, other than Taylor May, uh, I guess, yeah, going back to Jerome Luai, Tim Lafayette has slotted in really, really well. Um, I thought he was a bit of a has-been, to be honest. But um, I know I said that Jerome Luai has been 
And as you commented on, um, Jerome Luai and, and left centers playing on that the same side as Luai, they've always fared well because of um, the service from Luai. But I think Lafay has shown that he's uh, definitely not a has-been just yet. And he could probably... I, I'm, I'm not going to say this on record officially, but maybe he could come back to the NRL and, and get a contract there. Well, I mean, like, you know, you look at the amount of teams that are struggling down towards the, you know, is he good enough to slot into a, an NRL system and play some good football? Like, I mean, he, he could be one of those guys that, I mean, he's not going to move like Justin Ollum, but if the Storm got their hands on him, you feel like he'd turn into a pretty good player. Roosters, likewise. Um, but, like, I think if he, you know, got signed by Tigers, Knights, Warriors, Dragons, like a whole bunch of these teams that are, sort of be in the bottom eight for a couple of years. Um, I feel like he'd get, you know, 20 games and probably play some okay footy. Um, so, yeah, I, I do agree with you. What do you make of his centre partner, though, Stephen Crichton? Now, there's been a lot of talk in the last week or so. Uh, let's play a mini version of good take, bad take. Stephen Crichton is a million-dollar player. Good take or bad take? I would say bad take. I know going on the evidence of the World Cup, you might say it's uh, that sounds a bit crazy, but I, I, I still don't think he has the runs on the board um, to be considered a million-dollar player. Although his stats on the weekend, I when I looked at it, I actually thought he was playing fullback at first. I forgot that Suali was playing fullback. I thought mm. that's a, a fullback's game uh, going by that. Not to mention the clutch like field goal, uh, the, the great defensive read on Radley's pass. Mm. That intercept pass that he's becoming known for now. Yeah, I still think it's a little bit early, but um, he's he's. I, I think he's always had that potential. I think he could potentially be a million dollar player in the future. I I, I would not pay a million dollars for him right now. I agree with that. Uh, I think it's a bad take. I, I think, and it's been thrown around a bit. Good luck to them. And if he if he can in a million dollars somewhere, great. Uh, I think he'd have to be a fullback to do it. Mm-hmm. I don't think fullback is his best position. Uh, I don't even think he's the best center at his club. I think Isaac Tungo is. But that might be because he's playing outside Jerome Luai. Like, like we talk about that left center thing. But he's not... He, I don't think he's a better fullback option than Dylan Edwards. No. You can't move Dylan. Uh, so are you going to pay a, a million dollars to your center? I mean, the Cowboys are with Val Holmes, but that wasn't by design. Um, and I'm sure if they had their time again, they wouldn't do that exactly. Not that much. So... No, he's not a, a million-dollar player. But uh, if he dominates Australia, uh, we could revisit the conversation next week. Let's have a small little break. Uh, we're going to hear from your brother, the Big E, with his phenomenal tip for the World Cup final. And then we are going to give our tips back in a sec. This is the Big E phenomenal tip of the week, boys. What's up? <coughs> yeah, my tip of the week, I'm going to tip... Australia to win against the Samoa. Uh, I think that uh, Samoa Haka will never work out for the Samoa because they always, well, not always, they always win, but this one, <coughs> Australia is never afraid of you boys. They're going to beat you. For the second half, my number one player. Josh Alakar will get a winning try. Welcome back to Above the Horizontal. A big thanks to the Big E for his phenomenal tip of the week. I'm joined by his brother, Kieran Gibson. Kieran, it sounds to me like the Big E is pretty high on Australia getting the job done. Obviously, he's very happy for Samoa, but, you know, 
he comes, he's Australia first. He's very passionate, your brother. So he's, he's big on Australia and he reckons that Josh Adokar might be getting a, a match-winning try somewhere along the lines. What do you reckon? That's probably a pretty reasonable tip that Josh Adokar is going to score a try in this kind of form. Yeah, I mean, it's reasonable to say that he could be player of the match. I mean, a, a winger in a final, that sounds a bit crazy, but the, the form he's in, yeah, he could score the match-winning try and get player of the match. Absolutely. Let's let's talk about the chances that... Well, let's talk about expectations for a start. Obviously, we're looking at Australia versus Samoa. We're talking about, you know, what's, what's Australia's population these days? It's 25 million plus, right? Twenty five. Let's call it 25 million versus 200,000. Uh, let's talk about the National Rugby League being the best rugby league infrastructure on the planet with the best development systems versus Samoa, right? We're talking about David Goliath at this point. Australia should win this game. Australia should towel up Samoa in this game, realistically. Kieran Gibson, do you think they will? Uh, no, I don't, but I'll, um, for the people that aren't football fans, I'll, um, if you, if you Google Iceland's population versus England's population, because Iceland knocked England out of a international football tournament. I think it was the 20, I want to say 20, 20 something, 2010s in the 2010s, uh, of a, a Euro tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, I, from memory, Iceland's population, it's very similar to the, the ratio that it is for Australia Samoa or mm-hmm. uh, not too far off. So it can happen, especially like not just because uh, um, it has happened in football before. Um, I think Samoa have enough talent like uh, to, to do it. Um, and I think Australia, as we said, like they just haven't really been battle hardened. They haven't had those. Um, uh, they did against New Zealand where they kind of got away with it. Um, but yeah, if, if Australia are off their game, even just a bit, I think Samoa could capitalize and even Samoa at their absolute best could possibly do it. One thing Samoa have going for them is their combinations seem pretty good at this point. They were obviously real shit at the start of the tournament against England, uh, but they bounced back really quickly and it seems like they've bonded really well. And uh, we're going to use Chris's favorite word, club connections TM, <laughs> because, you know, the Panthers, I mean, it's basically the Panthers back line with a freak at fullback. Like he's a specimen. Uh, he, you know, he's, he's only going to get better, Joseph Sorley. He's so young. But he has been, at the very least, very hard to handle because he's just very hard to tackle and he runs with his knees high. Uh, Luai <laughs> has probably never been better. Milford has rejuvenated a bit, uh, which gives the Dolphins some some confidence. Um, and, and yeah, they've got a really good forward pack. Uh, so the, the one thing they have is connections, Throw in a bit of confidence. Uh, throw in an unpredictable game style um, where they can... like that. A try that Stephen... The first try that Stephen Crichton scored, which was Jerome Luai going like bang, bang, two left foot, huge left foot steps, breaks about 3,000 ankles. <laughs> um, throws a pass to Paolo who gets a legs tackle and just like somehow gets that ball like up in the air and backwards back to Luai who quick thinkingly just like sort of volleyball tapped it over the net to Stephen Crichton to score the easiest try that he'll ever score. But all the work before that was amazing. And it's the kind of thing that you don't see in structured NRL play a lot, even though literally everyone that was involved was an NRL player. It was, it was just something like freeing and natural and organic about it. Something Walker brothers about it (laughs) to throw a, to throw a, a chat favorite in there. 
about how the Walker brothers should be attached to every single coaching gig ever. Uh, and I think they were attached to the Samoa at one point uh, when Matt Parrish's job was under under pressure. But there was something about it, you know, there's something exciting about that. And Australia, Australia's defense is their strength. How are you going to break down a really good structured defense? Second phase play, you know, a bit of footwork. Um, that's how you break down structured defense. So Samoa, while they there might be a class deficit, I think they have the game style to trouble Australia. Uh, yeah, definitely. And I think um, if you... I, I'm trying to think of who defends with Holmes. Uh, Jack Whiten. Jack, Jack White. Um, well, he's not uh, uh, normally a centre. I know he... I probably, I, I'm not going to be too critical of Jack Wyden because I think he can defend very well there at centre, even though that's not his usual position. But I thought um, Holmes was a bit of a liability against New Zealand. I was a bit worried that um, that was going to lose us the game, um, him defending Ronaldo Molotalo. I commented in the chat um, about 30 minutes into that game, I think Val Holmes had tried to make four tackles and he hadn't made a single one. Um, mm. Or the only reason that he had made a tackle is because uh, someone else had he bounced off the tackle and then someone else had um, pretty much completed it and he just tapped the guy on the back. The Shane uh, Trunk maneuver. I'd call Trunk. that one. <laughs> yeah. um, tackle assist. <laughs> uh, he, he does the hands on hips a bit better than Trunk, I think. Um, but No one does also- it better than Trunky, mate. No one does it better than Trunky. <laughs> Um, but uh, aside from just a, an individual sort of weakness to um, exploit, I, I think uh, Samoa definitely, has, as you say, they have those connections. Um, Luai and Lafai can definitely um, danger or uh, expose Australia, uh, and they pose a danger to Australia. Um, and then, yeah, that, that big mobile forward pack, as you said, that, that could move a, a structured defense around. And um, if it's, depending on Australia, how Australia go, as you said, like if Australia pick Cotter, They'll have a, a bit of a smaller front row rotation. Um, it'll be interesting. I think Samoa can do it, but it's not going to be my prediction. <laughs> no, it's certainly not likely. One thing that worries me a little bit, like I, I'm, I'm both confident and lacking in confidence about Australia's right edge, um, because it's going to be Nathan Cleary, who's a very solid defender. Uh, Liam Martin probably next to him again, very solid defender. Um, and they work together well at club level, so I don't expect there to be any problems there. What I am worried about is Jack Whiten, as you say, not exactly a centre. He's done the job before and at right centre before. Um, but Jack Whiten's a left-side player, and so is Val Holmes these days. And what that that might sound like not a big deal, particularly in defence, but I, I think it kind of is, and here's my thesis, if you think about most good rugby league teams in the NRL, their strong side is their left side in attack, right? Like, like you know, the Melbourne Storm are heading that way because they've got Munster over there. Uh, you know, the Panthers, their left side is just fucking lethal. Uh, the Rabbitohs, like, that's why Alex Johnston has led the try-scoring um tally since the day he was born because he plays on the left side outside guys like Latrell uh, and bloody Cody Walker. Uh, you know, that's that's where most teams go. So if you are if you are used to defending on the left side, you're up against the right side and attack, it's less lethal a lot of the time. Uh, so you still have to be a good defender and obviously they're playing for Australia. They're not mugs, right? But there's, there is a difference there is a difference in teams' abilities to, to attack on the left or the right. Now, you bet your bottom dollar that Samoa 
will be giving that ball to Luai with as much space as possible so he can give really good ball to guys like Taylor May and Tim Laffey or be a threat on his own. How are two guys that are not used to defending on the right because, you know, they don't have to deal with as challenging shapes on a weekly basis all the time. They're both out of position compared to what they've been playing in the NRL in 2022. That is a potential weak space that Samoa could exploit. Uh, I don't think they will exploit it. I don't think they're going to win. But I've been wrong a whole bunch on this podcast for this <laughs> tournament so far. Um, so I'm certainly not ruling it out. And if it is something that happens, I think it's going to be through a size difference in the middle where they can generate some second phase play, which creates some unstructured defense. And as soon as people like Jack Whiten and Val Holmes, who are not used to defending A, together, and B, on the right, and C, in those particular positions, with unstructured play, and a guy like Jerome Luai with his footwork and passing game, there could be some trouble. There really could be. Uh, but in saying that, I do think Australia is going to win. And I do think it should be 12 or 13 plus. What do you think? Yeah, I have a, a, I have a, a tight first half, but I think Australia will win by 18 points, um, at least in the end. Yeah, so maybe... Um, and that, that will probably come from a bit of bench depth. Like you look at some mowers side that they've been running out they're 17 their bench is not as strong as say australia's bench which they ran with uh on the weekend just gone which was cameron murray arguably the best lock in the world pat carrigan who just won the you know the wally lewis medal instead of origin has had a good tournament so far tino fasu maliawi who is a, a weapon and harry grant <laughs> like that is that is about as good a bench as you can possibly ask for uh, I think so. Uh, that that's that breathes some life into your prediction. I think that Australia could have a, a bit of a tough period um, and then outlast them and sort of run away with it in the end. I think that's probably a pretty good prediction. Uh, who do you like for first try scorer? I've got um, off the back of how I, I thought he was one of Australia's better players last week, and I thought he looked dangerous um, in the few moments that we actually kind of looked like we might be an attacking threat last week. I've got Latrell Mitchell to score first. Nice. I like it. Uh, I'm going to go with Junior Paolo. I'm just going to go hard. Like, let's just let's just throw it in there. Uh, gamble responsibly if you choose to do that. We're not a gambling podcast, but you know if you're that way inclined, go ahead. I wouldn't put too much money on Junior Paolo being the first <laughs> try scorer, but I do think it's going to be uh, a rough and tumble first half an hour. I feel like someone like him will be a, a pivotal part of that. And I feel like, you know, a, a cheeky short ball from someone like a Milford or a Luai or, or, or the dummy half could be what gets him over the line. And he's the kind of guy with some footwork and strength. Uh, yeah, I think Junior Paolo. So that's, that's going to be my tip. Uh, and who do you think will be the player of the match? Uh, I've got someone who I've been a bit critical of in, in some big games. In Origin, he's phenomenal uh, in grand finals i don't think he's been quite as good but i've got cameron munster i think he's stood up this uh this world cup so far and um, yeah i'll go him especially with as as we talked about a lot of teams are strong on the left side on attack the ball will be coming his way uh and samoa should in theory on paper at least be a weaker defensive unit than new zealand last week so i'm going to i'm going to say ben hunt that's going to be my 
again, I'm going like real outsider here, very rough. Um, but I, I've got a feeling that Ben Hunt, sorry, he's clutch. He is clutch, you know, the, the dozer, go dozer, go dozer, <laughs> to quote Cameron Smith. Um, yeah, no, the, the dozer, he is, he is clutch. And recently he's been going about 60-40 with Harry Grant, meaning that he's getting like 45 minutes and Harry's getting about 35 minutes. And, and Ben Hunt's spells have usually been the first 25, the last 20. Uh, and I think the first 25 is going to be so important that he gets that defensively right, assuming that he starts. Um, and then that last 20 could be bonanza time in terms of running away with the game and scoring some points, and he could be a big part of that. So, yeah, I think I think Ben Hunt is a bit of a, a left-field prediction. Uh, player of the tournament. Now, it would be easy to go with... Joey Manu, who literally just won the Golden Boot. And for those that are unaware, Golden Boot is for the International Player of the Year. So things like NRL, Super League, Origin, they don't count. Uh, it's purely on international performances in the year, uh, which is something that they award bizarrely before all the games are finished. That's crazy to me. And honestly, I would probably eat some humble pie and would have probably given it to Jerome Luai just on the strength of what he's done to get Samoa into a final. Uh, but they went with Joey Manu. Um, and I think that was partly on the, on the strength of the mid-year test against Ta- uh, Tonga, where he ran for a 1,000 meters or something. <laughs> so, Joy Manu gets it. Does Joy Manu get player of the World Cup as well, or do you think that might go with somebody else? Uh, I think Jerome Moy is a good shout. I think Cameron... Uh, Australia have kind of played um, musical chairs with their um, selections, but I think Munster, as I said, has had a, uh, a better tournament um, than I thought he might. Um, I, I'd say he's in contention. I wouldn't give it to him. Um, Tedesco has been there, as he always is, um, up there with a few of the others. But yeah, probably... Uh, I think Jerome Loy is a very good shout. I, I think he gets it. I, I think he really does. And uh, if it was to be an Australian, I think it has to come down to Australia or Samoa, surely. Um, I think if, a, if an Australian gets it, I'd be looking at Josh Adokar. Oh, true, like, yeah. Not only has he scored like a million tries, but he's also, look at me exaggerating all the time, like fat, like fatty Vaughn. <laughs> I'll just throw the head wobble in there. If you can audibly get that. Like, just can you hear that? I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, he's got like a million tries, but it's the way that he's scoring and the impact that he has. And he's also doing the hard yards out of, out of the back enders as well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a big Joshua Descartes fan this tournament. He's made Freddie Fittler look fucking stupid. <laughs> um, I also think Cameron Murray's been really, really good um, in, a, in a different role. He hasn't done this very much at rep level. Um, and I think he's been adding a lot of impetus when the teams needed it, um, as we saw in the semifinal. <laughs> that was impetus, not impotence. <laughs> I heard you. I heard you giggle. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'd be looking at those two, uh, to be honest. But I think they'll go with a Samoan, not only because, like, not not to you know pity him or anything, but I think Australia will will win this game. But even if Australia don't win, I mean, you've got to give it to a Samoan at that point. Win, win, win or lose, I think it's. I think a Samoan deserves it, considering what they've done to get there. And considering how dominant he's been in that team, yeah, Jerome Luai feels... I, I think it's bullshit he didn't get Golden Boot, frankly. Um, I just like... I, I, that's, that's my hot take. I think as much as he's a flog on the field or whatever, he absolutely deserved that award, in my opinion. But So I think, I think Jerome as well. Let's talk about bowl predictions before we finish up the episode, Kieran. What's, what, are you, what are you looking at for a bowl? 
Uh, so I've slightly altered mine from uh, what I first had it as, but um, I've got. I think there will only be twelve points um, scored in the first thirty minutes. I initially had it the first half, but I've gone back to thirty minutes, which mm-hmm. I still think is all right. And then I've got, uh, but Australia will win by sixteen points or more in the end. So twelve points total in yes, the first yeah. half an hour, and then a bit of a runaway for Australia in the end, sixteen plus. Yeah. All right. That sounds. I, I'll, that sounds like a really good game, actually. Uh, best of both worlds. Uh, obviously, it'd be best if it was really close, um, but that sounds pretty likely to me. My bold prediction is in line with my uh, with my prediction for player of the match. I think Ben Hunt will get a try assist and a try. I think that'll be Benny Hunt um, on this World Cup final. Kieran Gibson, thank you very very much. Uh, do you plan on getting up early in the morning to to watch the game? Uh, I'm thinking I might. Um, uh, yeah, I'll be in my new apartment, so I might might check it out. Might stay up or get up for it. I'll see which one I, I want, but I, I think I'll definitely watch, yeah. Well, we could have a cute stumble party. Yeah, <laughs> we could do. I might just walk over and say hello. Uh, <laughs> and check out your new pad. Um, that's it. That sounds really good, actually. Will you, will you have internet? I do. I My internet gets um, installed at 9 a.m. tomorrow. I've already uh, organized it. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Priorities. <laughs> is, it, is it tomorrow the day you move in? Yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. That's that's so good. I, I had internet put in like two weeks later here, like, oh, <laughs> so, wow. uh, which was, as you remember, very painful. I, too, will be trying to watch the game. I'm not sure if I do want to be taking Brisbane Public Transport at 2 in the morning or whatever to get to your place. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, that, that sounds fun. I definitely will try and watch it. And I hope that everyone at home does as well. Kieran Gibson, thank you very much for your company. Thank you. And thanks to everyone for joining us. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the show. If you have, do hit that subscribe button. Also, you know, let a friend know. Let a friend know. Tell them that we're okay if you think we are. Uh, we do have other panelists involved as well, usually Miles Stedman, Daniel Friend, Chris Waring. They're all wonderful blokes with good footy brains. We are all just fans. We're fans of the game. This is by the fans for the fans. So we hope you enjoyed it. If you have, please subscribe because we are going to be taking you above the horizontal next week to talk about the World Cup finals after the fact. But until then... Above the Horizontal is brought to you by the Pioneer Australia. Find them on Facebook or at www.pioneeraustralia.wordpress.com. The panellists are Miles Stedman, Kieran Gibson and Daniel Friend. And it's hosted and produced by me, Bo Nicholson.